Welcome to the broadcast of Riverside Church in Princeton, North Carolina. Riverside Church preaching Christ and Him crucified. For more information, check out our website at www.riversidefwb.com. Grab your Bible right there in your pew. If you don't have one, you take that one with you. Just wear it out tonight. We're looking at James chapter number four tonight. I'm big on starting on time. That way we end on time. Amen. Amen. Tonight we pick up in James chapter four. And the reason I have you reach for your Bible is because we choose to believe the Bible because it is a reliable collection of historical documents written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. It reports supernatural events that took place in fulfillment of prophecy. It's divine, not human in origin. Of course, here at Riverside, we believe in the five solas. The first being scripture alone. Let's say scripture alone. Scripture alone. The second one being faith alone. Let's say faith alone. Faith alone. The third being Christ alone. Let's say Christ alone. Christ alone. And the fourth being grace alone. Let's say grace alone. Grace alone. And the last one, the fifth one is God alone receives the glory. Let's say God alone. God alone. This morning, this afternoon, I'm still working from this morning. This afternoon, as we look in the book of James, we see that James is the half-brother of Jesus. Jesus being the son of God, but also he was raised by Joseph. But Joseph's son was James, and James was the half-brother of Jesus. And he started and became a pillar of the church right there in Jerusalem. And he wrote this epistle. This is, a called, this is called a practical epistle. This means there are things in James that are practical, that we can understand. It's where the rubber meets the road or where the meat meets the metal. It's also an annual faith kind of epistle. It's also something that we can use, that we can wrap our heads around, and it's very practical. And we pick up in chapter number four of James. If you were here last time we were together on May the 15th, we talked about how we have jealousies within us and conflicts, and we spoke about meekness and wisdom. We spoke about how we pray to God, but we don't receive what we want because we spend it on our own passions. Thank God for unanswered prayer because God is not going to finance your idolatry. People want God to hand them things that they would love more than God. They would love for God to give them a nice house. That way they'll worship the house. Or they want God to give them a promotion. That way they'll be consumed with work and ignore God. They want God to give them a, a significant other. And they'll worship the ground that person walks on. But ignore God. And God is not in the business of financing idolatry. Amen. Amen. So tonight we look how he explains to us the warning against worldliness. If you do have a copy of God's holy word, I do beg you to open it and uh, turn to James chapter number four. If you would like a copy of my notes, they're right there in your lap in a copy of God's word. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? We see here that he, this is a reiterating, it's reminding you that why you you have conflict all around you, there's one common denominator and that's you. Jeremiah 17 verse number 9 tells us that the heart above all things is wicked. The heart wants what it wants is also a mantra that's heard in our society. People say I can't help. This. That's just what I want. That's the problem. Our hearts are fallen. We're tainted by sin. Sin has such tainted us and we're so fallen in our natural nature that we never choose goodness. We never choose Christ and 
because God intervenes, we're left in our sin. That's why he tells us in John chapter number 3, ye must be born again. If you find yourself here tonight and you say, well, I always make the wrong decisions in the long run. I always find myself doing the wrong thing. I find myself worshiping things that take from me and tear me down and destroy me and everyone around me because I am a fallen nature, much like Adam who fell from the beginning. We have inherited his sin nature. We must be born again by the second Adam is what the Bible tells us and the book of Romans and the second Adam being Jesus Christ. We must be in him, trust in him, taking off our sinful nature, taking off our old man. Now I spoke to an old preacher one time. He says, well, I'm the new man. But I know where the old man is buried and sometimes I dig him up. Amen. We all know about that. But tonight I will show you where there's room for grace for those who are knuckling up and fighting sin. Thanks be to God. There's room for grace. Amen. Because nobody here walked in on a cloud. Nobody here came in on the wings of doves and there was no rainbows and skittles didn't rain down when you walked into the room. There was no angelic choir when you came in. We are simply walking in grace and grace alone. But I want you to look in verse number four. This is how you build a church. You begin saying, you are adulterous people. Yeah, that's how you influence people and make friends. Amen. You adulterous people. That's how I know that the Bible was not written by men. God is not shy of telling us the truth. He's not shy and he doesn't run away from responsibility of calling people to holiness. Here, the, the, uh, the Apostle James is writing and he calls us adulterous people. Adulterous people are those who are unfaithful. Those who are not committed and submitted to the things of God. Here we see where James is pointing the finger at you and I. Notice he doesn't say, oh, you slip up, you have hang-ups and habits. He doesn't say that you struggle. He calls it what it is. That's the thing. Uh, let it be said in the pulpit here at the river that we don't give beautiful words to sins. We don't say that, oh, that's just a fling. That's a side piece. That's just a, a habit or a hang up. Oh, they can't help it. They're angry. That's, they got that from their mama's side of the family. They, they, they spend all their money on their favorite idols. They, they, that's just a, something that they deal with. They, they actually have a disease. See, we call sins diseases now. And we believe that we can have therapy to get over it. It's not like you twisted your knee and you go to physical therapy to get the full, full motion back in your knee. Sin is debilitating. Sin will rip you to shreds. Sin will tear you down, hollow your soul out, and leave you as a husk laying on the floor, rolling. And let's call sin what it is. Sin. Let us not dress it up with lipstick and call it something it's not. It's not a habit or hang-up. It's sin. Mm, maybe some amens tonight, but they'll probably stop by the time we're done. You adulterous people. He says, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? I was speaking to one of our house friends who are here tonight. And they were talking about when their friend was there talking to somebody who didn't look at them in a well, uh, good light. And he knew his issue with that person. But he was really concerned about how the person who was his friend carried on in the conversation. You know who your enemies are. You already know. But what did your friend say when you weren't there? Mm. Loyalty. 
That's really big in my circle. I had to tighten my circle over the years. And sometimes I only had to talk to myself. My circle got so tight. And I, believe me, I understand. But loyalty means a lot. And it means a lot to God. He says, being friends with the world means you'll be an enemy to God. How many of us are having affairs on the side when we're committed to Christ, but we're having flings on the side? Well, whenever a Christian says, Jesus is my all in all, I trust in him. I lean upon him. I lean upon him for wisdom and understanding. I ask him to reign over my thoughts, reign over my hands, teach me where to go, lead my steps, reign over my heart. But then we're not satisfied in Christ anymore whenever that thing comes along that tempts us. What you're saying when you choose that sin is you're saying that this is better than Jesus. I've tasted of the heavenly things, but this, this satisfies me. I, I find my identity over here. Jesus has my heart. My, my, my body belongs over here. That's what you're saying. That sounds adulterous. Mm. See, when you're the preacher, you don't always get to divvy out sugar. You don't. You don't. Because you have a congregation full of diabetics. Their, their feet will rot off. They can't walk anywhere. They go blind. They can't see what God is, God is showing them. Sometimes you got to bring that salt in. And you gotta let, you got to add the flavor. This is the flavor. Let's put it in the gumbo. I know y'all had gumbo all the way to church. Because they, they had bowls, y'all, in the van. So I'm going to church, but I'm eating this gumbo. And I appreciate it. I'm glad you're here. And it makes a good analogy with the sermon. <laughs> but I can't always tell you, oh, you're so beautiful. If God had a refrigerator, your, your face would be on the refrigerator. He loves you. You're so cuddly and fuzzy. He just loves No, no, no. Let's call it what it is. What good would a surgeon be if you go to the surgeon and you had some kind of aggressive cancer that's wrecking your body and he played games with you, honked your nose like a clown and sent you on your way feeling good about yourself but you're infected and it won't be long until you die. That's not a good surgeon. A good pastor will tell you what you don't always want to hear. Mm, thank you, Lord. We see that the pastor James calls the people adulterous. Did you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Far too long you've entertained devils. Far too long you've clapped and laughed at the very things that put Jesus on the cross. Far too long. <laughs> Far too long you longed for the old gods that held you captive and you not enjoyed Christ and His grace and His liberty. Adulterous. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. You should be one-sided, one-minded, dedicated. Should be a one-man, like a one-man man who's dedicated to one woman, a one-woman who's dedicated to one man. We understand whenever somebody gets together and, and you see your friend, he's dating that lady who's very loose with her morals, if you know what I mean. You would tell your friend, hey, bro, everybody had a ride on that carousel. You don't need to go over there. And I'm just going to be honest with you. You don't need to do that. You just don't. We warned them. So... Let me be a good friend today. Those who are playing with the rattlesnake of sin. Who says, well, his fangs don't look that sharp. I keep playing with it. And I keep tugging around it. And I keep uh, feeding it. And I keep uh, entertaining it. Before long, it will sink its fangs into your veins and ruin you forever. Amen. Let me be a good friend to you. Amen. He says, adulterous people. 
How can you be friends with the world? You will end up being an enemy with God. Is it worth it being an enemy with God? We see that friendship with the world. Friendship is described as something where you come along beside somebody. You, you can't walk with somebody unless you go in the same direction. But if you hold with, holding hands with somebody and they're going that way, you're going to be at a standstill. So those who are entertaining uh, friendship with the world, you're not growing closer to Jesus. You're not walking closer. To, you're not getting closer to Jesus. You're at a standstill. And in fact, maybe you're sliding backwards because the influence of the friendship with the world is taking you away from Jesus. I want to let you know this, that your real friends will draw you closer to Christ. Your real friends will gather around you and pray you back to life, not kick dirt on you and plan your funeral. Your real friends will challenge you to read your Bible, to walk holy, righteous, before God, walking worthy before Him. That's your real friends. Maybe you ain't never heard that before. Maybe you ain't never wrapped your head around that. Friendship with the world. I used to, I used to dance with the devil quite often. I want to let you know that you, you can't dance with the devil and hold hands with Jesus. That's not going to work. Even Joshua said, choose this day who you will serve. There's a lot of things that you need to let go of today. Amen. Is it bringing you closer to Christ? Are you being righteous? Are you better today than you were 10 years ago? Are you better today than you were 10 weeks ago? Are you better today than you were 10 minutes ago? Are you closer to Christ? Friendship with the world. Maybe you should call a meeting and say, Oh, I can't, I can't entertain you anymore. We're just going to have to break ties here. I can't be angry anymore. I can't be mad anymore. I can't carry that grudge any longer. So you're just going to have to go. Lust, I'm going to put you out here. I'm going to go ahead and open the car door and just push you out. I ain't even going to slow down. I'm just going to push you out. You better tuck and roll. We got to go. Whatever it is, friendship with the world, you're going the same direction. If you're walking with that friend that's walking away from Christ, then you're walking away from Christ. Realize that. Stop. Look around. Look at your environment. Or you'll be considered an enemy of God. He tells us here that we're adulterous when we do that. In John chapter 14 verse 30, for those who are taking notes, we, we can see where there are two worlds there. John tells us that Jesus was saying, I will no longer talk much with you. For the ruler of this world, he is coming and he has no claim on me. Again, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 4, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Again, in Galatians chapter 1, 3 through 4, we see again, grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of God our Father. We see there's a struggle with the world and the kingdom of Christ. They do not coexist. I know you're physically in this world and you might be torn between two worlds. But here he calls those who entertain the world. That doesn't say you can't have friends that are in the world. It's talking about the worldly system, the philosophies and thoughts of this world. Whenever you have ambition to magnify yourself, let everybody know it was you who did that. I did that. 
Tupac Shakur, one of the greatest theologians that our world has ever seen, said, all eyes on me, is what he said. Yeah, Tupac. I said Tupac. (laughs) All eyes on me is what he said. But he also laid dead in the street that night. When he was found at the end of a barrel... And he stands before God and must give an account. Yes, he had a philosophy and a worldview. And it was not biblical. You will decide. Will you be dedicated and submitted and committed to Christ or this world? The only thing the world has to offer us is a court date and a casket. Glory to God. Glory to God. And some of y'all fighting to get back in the streets. I can't wait to get back out there and do that again. Your friends tell you to come to Christ. Chase after Him. Serve Him. Amen. Honor Him. We understand that there's two systems. There's two worlds. And I understand. I understand that you're torn between the two. And you, you, you might hear the correction coming from the pulpit. And you might take it across the knees or uh, take it on the palm like the old nun, nuns do up north. They take the palm of the, the student in the Catholic schools and with a ruler to tell them to submit to the regulations of the private Catholic school. But that's not what's going to take place here. I want you to stick with me because we're going somewhere. We see that he says, Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy with God. You have to decide today, will I serve God or will I be an enemy? In Philippians chapter 3, verse 18 through 19, For as often I told you before now, say again, even with tears, is what Paul was saying to the Philippi church. Many of you are living as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, and their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. You'll notice whenever Paul is talking to the Philippi church, he, he says, through tears I say this to you. Don't think I'm just up here kicking you around like a hacky sack, smacking you around saying, you need to tighten up and do right. Paul, through tears, pleads with the congregation and says your passions are other than what you should be serving and honoring, heavenly things, but your passions are your belly and a depraved heart is what he says. And you are enemies of the cross is what Paul says to this church. Notice he ain't in the street preaching that. He's preaching it to the people of God. The people of God are turning into the enemies of God because they rather have the things that are against God than God. We see that Paul does it through tears. That means there's a cost to stand in this pulpit through tears and plead with people as they're bolting towards hell. There are some here tonight who are running towards hell as fast as they can. They rather sin than be forgiven and be found in grace and mercy. But let it be said that this ministry, the river, and me personally is posted outside the gates of hell. And I'm going to make it hard for you to go to hell. You have to leap over me, jump around me, and jive me as I try to tackle you and tell you, pull yourself together, look at the Scriptures and trust in Him. Glory to God. Yes, sir. Oh, it's easy to go to hell. But I'm going to make it hard for you. But there will be those who will sit under gospel preaching. For the last six years, you'll sit under the gospel preaching and your heart will grow harder and harder. And there will be a day when you stand before God and you'll give an account for your life. 
And I want to let you know that hell will be all the harder for you because consistently for this last six years coming up in June, I have stood in this pulpit and I preached God's word unadulterated. I've got deacons and people in place who go verse by verse, line by line and make sure what I'm saying is true. I had people check me and make sure like a Berean that what I'm saying is actually true. And you'll have to give an account. You, you, your pastor won't give it. I got my own sins. Yes, sir. The deacons, they won't, they won't stand in for you. Johnny Cocker, even though Johnny Depp's got a good lawyer, for those who are watching the news, she's a good lawyer. But she won't be able to defend Johnny Depp on Judgment Day. Yes, It'll be you and God on Judgment Day. You will give an account. Yes, sir. And those who will spend eternity in hell, you will hear this sermon over and over and over again as the preacher through tears. If you can't see the tears in my eyes, hear them in my voice. Repent of your sins and trust in Christ. Don't be an enemy of God. And verse number five. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealousy, jealously over the spirit that has been made to dwell in us. This verse is probably the hardest verse in all of James. Because first of all, when you look at verse number five, you, it says, or do you suppose there's no purpose in that the scripture says... Nowhere in all of Scripture is that phrase found. So what James is doing is he's, he's bulking up all together all the teaching and training and godliness that we see in First and Second Timothy when he tells Timothy that the Bible is good for training, correction, and teaching and righteousness and holiness. He's telling us. He's bundling it all together. And he tells us that God is jealous over us. Now, we've all seen that couple where he's a little too jealous. You can't go over there. Don't look at them. Keep your eyes on me. Abusive jealousy. Rooted in sin. That's not what we're talking about here. As a husband, I have full rights to my wife. And I am jealous over her. I want her attention and I want her affection. As their father, my children, I'm jealous over them. I love, I have a right to be, I'm their father. Our God has a right to jealousy over us. Amen. When we go sell ourselves to the world, He has every right to be wrathful and be angry. See, Everybody knows that God is love. We talk about 1 Corinthians 13 all the time. It shows up in all the weddings. Love is patient. Love is kind. If you're going to love something, you also have to hate something. What you mean, preacher? I know God is love. God ain't, he ain't no teddy bear full of burritos and Skittles. He, God, there's some stuff that God hates. Because if he loves something, he's got to hate something else. Let me explain. I, I love children. I love babies. So I hate Abortion. I hate it. I love when a, a godly marriage flourishes and they grow in holiness. So I hate divorce. I think you understand what I'm saying. I love people, so I hate racism. I hate it. I despise it. I love Jesus. So I should love holiness and hate sin, but I struggle with that and I'm probably the only one here. But it tells me that he's jealous over me. He has every right to be. For he redeemed me and saved me from his own wrath. 
And here I go. Spending my time, my talent, and my treasures on other things and being fulfilled in them and not Him. He has every reason to be jealous. The Bible explains jealousy all the more when He tells us, You shall not bow down to them or serve them is what God says. For I am the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation, to those who hate me, He says in Exodus 24-5. through Again in Exodus 34 verse 15, For you shall worship no other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. He tells us in Zechariah chapter 8 verse 2, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Zion with a great jealousy, and I am jealous for her with a great wrath. Basically to put it where you understand, he ain't playing. But then again, he calls us adulterous. Well, we're drawn away by our heart's desires and passions and not fulfilled in Him. Oh, look at our sad state church. Look at us. For the book of James was written to church people, not the people on the streets. The heathens are going to heathe. But He calls His people adulterous. Uh, let's examine ourselves. Don't look at your neighbor. Keep your eyes forward. Let's examine us. Have we been faithful? Have we committed to Him? Have we failed Him? Oh, I'm not going to send you home in this state. Don't worry. I know you're hard on yourself. It's good to examine your heart. It's good to see if you're in the faith. When we talk about His faithfulness, His kindness, and His mercy, we look at ourselves and say, I don't, I don't deserve this. What it does is pull the rug out from under us. Nobody in here is cocky right now. Nobody is popping their collar. Nobody is saying, I I did this. I I got it all together. I'm pulling together. I deserve heaven. If you're sitting here this afternoon saying, I deserve heaven, you're doing it wrong. If you're not the biggest sinner you know, then you're doing it all wrong. Are you looking across the, the church or looking across the pew or looking over your shoulder or thinking about somebody else and how they should be hearing this sermon? You're doing it wrong. This is self-examination. We look in the mirror. We look at our flaws and we see how fallen we are. We're adulterous. We're not committed, submitted. We see where he says that God is jealous over the spirit that he's made to dwell in us. We got to learn to stop the, the affairs. Stop playing games on the side with God. We, we, we do. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, it tells us we love because He first loved us. Yes. Oh, I, I want you to get a little bit encouraged tonight. You ain't worth saving, but He saves you. There is no value you bring to the table. Let me explain. You might be gifted with all kinds of skill sets and all kinds of degrees and accomplishments and trophies in your life. But that does not do anything for your salvation. Your PhD ain't going to keep you out of Mm H-E-L-L. The only thing you attribute to your salvation, the only thing that you can take credit for is the sin that makes salvation necessary. 
You see what I'm doing here? I'm chopping everybody down from the preacher to the back row to the window to the wall. Amen, somebody. You know where that's from. If you do, I'm praying for you. I saw you, Bruce. You, you know. But I want you to see, I want you to see something. I'm not going to leave you going home with spiritual black eyes. I want to show you something. Verse number six. But he gives more grace. Oh, that just took the air out of the room. I want you to understand that when the Bible was translated, they added the, the punctuation. They added the commas and the question marks here and there. So in the original, when you look at verse number 5, he yearns jealousy over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. There is no question mark there. So God is jealous for us. And the question mark goes at the end. But he gives more grace. What helps you whenever He's jealous for you? What helps you and gives you strength when you do not live up to the performance? What helps you when you miss the mark because you do and you fail before a holy God? His holy standard we cannot uphold. He gives more grace. No, I'm not talking about grace where you get saved. That's obvious. You, he gives grace to be saved. But he gives more grace for whatever you need. Yes, sir. Augustine had a great quote. I want to share it with you. God always gives what he demands. If he demands righteousness in you, he will give you that. Yes, sir. If, he, if he demands faithfulness from you, he will give it to you. If he demands you to be steady and stable, he will give that to you. Because it says here, but he gives more grace. Do you need more grace? Do you need more grace? In Isaiah chapter 54, 7 through 8, listen closely for those who are taking notes. Isaiah 54, 7 through 8. For a brief moment I deserted you is what God says to Israel. But with great compassion I will gather you up. In overflowing anger for a moment I hid my face from you. But with everlasting love, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. In Romans chapter 5, verse 20, Then the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abound all the more. All those who were caked in sin tonight. All those who are failures, morally, spiritually, irresponsible, addicted, giving your life over to the merciless, decades gone and given to somebody or something that wasted them. And here you are with nothing but ashes. He shows grace and He is your Redeemer. He gives more grace. For daily need, there is daily grace. For sudden need, there's sudden grace. For overwhelming need. There is an overwhelming grace. Whoever you are, if you need grace, He's got plenty. Do you need grace dealing with that co-worker? He gives that. Do you need grace to forgive? He gives grace to forgive. Do you need grace to steady yourself and pull yourself together, but you can't? He gives grace and He does all that for you. 
Do you need grace? He gives more. Remember earlier when you took the shellacking across the shins and across the hand and we started with adulterous people how we have been unfaithful to Him. And now we end up here at grace. Will it be alright if we just marinate here for a moment? Because if anybody goes to heaven, it's only because of grace. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. If we all got what we deserve, we all go to hell. Jesus died for sinners because that's all there is. Yes, he gives grace upon grace. To break that down, it means to heap grace on grace. Yes, sir. Heaping grace on grace. I don't think you understand what that means. Hmm. To get justice, you get what you deserve. To get mercy, He holds back His wrath. And He don't do anything. That's mercy. But grace is a whole nother level. Grace is when the thief is called a son. Grace is when the prodigal is home and his arms are, are wrapped around the forgiving father. Grace. Grace is heaped upon you. Layer by layer. In Lamentations chapter 3, 22-23. It's a wonder we're not consumed is what it says. In His wrath, He should destroy us. But His mercies are new every morning. Amen. Notice that Bible verse don't say it's leftover grace from the day before. Like uh, a cold turkey sandwich in the middle. You know you don't get it warm all the way through. I'll eat it, but I don't like it. It's cold in the middle. It's not leftover grace. It's new every morning. Because you're going to use all the grace up today that you need. And He's going to supply it. And there's a fresh batch ready for you tomorrow morning. When He stirs you to wake, grace heaped upon grace in your life. Do you need grace today? Yeah. Or are you getting to heaven on your performance? <laughs> if you are and you're getting there, you're preaching next week. <laughs> Simple grace heaped upon grace is what the text tells me. I, I really resonate here because I, I live off grace. If it were not for grace, where would I be? If it were not for His tender mercies, where would I be? Where would I find myself? What shallow grave would I be laying in right now? And what place in hell would I be lifting up my eyes from right now? If it were not for grace and grace alone. Amen. There, was a, there was a certain painter who painted a picture of Niagara Falls. And if you don't know what Niagara Falls is, see one of our deacons, he'll explain. It's a big waterfall. What it was, it was a beautiful, detailed painting of Niagara Falls. And it was, de it was donated to a charity. And no name was given to the painting. So they gave it a name. Whenever they gave it the name, the name was More to Follow. Because the waters would flow from Niagara Falls. And for thousands and thousands of years, the water has flowed from Niagara Falls. If that's not the perfect analogy of grace, I don't know what is. The water flows from heaven of grace towards you. And there's more to follow. More grace towards you. And you know what that does to somebody like me? It inspires me to not be adulterous. It inspires me to be faithful and committed and submitted to Him. 
It is fire. It is it, it fires me, invigorates me. It gives me zeal and passion, not out of uh, 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 almost like a robotic attitude or uh, like I'm pre-programmed or, I, or uh, I'm, I'm required to do things out of guilt. You know those people. They do things out of guilt. They're animated by guilt. They do everything out of guilt. I should do this. I should do that. Much like a bride who is, is, is afraid that her groom will beat her if she does not make sure the house is tidy and clean. She lives in constant fear that it, she will endure his wrath if things are not in perfect order. That's, that's not love. That's not grace. That's fear. And if you've been living like that because you're afraid that God's got a lightning bolt and he's going to strike you down if you don't tighten up and get it right, let us walk in grace today. Imagine that bride hearing from her groom, I'm going to love you even if you get cancer and you can't pull yourself up out of the bed. I'm going to love you regardless. I'm going to love you if your hair falls out, if you get chemotherapy. I'm going to love you anyway. I'm going to love you if you lose your mind and you can't remember who I am. I'm going to be here beside your bed and I'm going to love you. Amen. That's grace. Amen. So tell me when a bride hears that, Thank you, Lord. which bride will probably love her groom more? The one who's receiving grace. Church, you're the bride of Christ and you're receiving grace tonight. In spite of you. Even though you're adulterous. Even though you have not lived up to the mark. Even though you dropped the ball. Even though you're still mad about something that took place last week or last year. He shows grace towards you in mercy. And that causes me to want to serve Him. If I had 10,000 lives, I want to give them all to Him. I can serve a God like that. Not one who beats me into submission, slaps me around, and makes me live out of guilt. Grace heaped upon grace is what I'm explaining tonight. And what that does, it wipes pride away. Don't it? It just wipes pride away. But that's what the next verse is, if you'll look with me. And we'll finish up here. We, we look and He tells us in verse 6, he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. God is against those who are prideful. Well, that's easy. I'm not prideful at all. I'm pretty proud about that. I'm pretty proud. I'm, not, I'm pretty humble. Humility is my greatest quality. I'm pretty proud. I'm, I'm probably the most humble person in this room. Humility. Humility is when you submit to Him, live under grace, do what, on, do what honors Him. But those who are prideful, those who say, Nah, I see this grace thing, but I'm going to earn my way to heaven. I'm going to tithe my way there. I'm going to do works and trust in them and lean on them. The Bible tells me He resists the proud. Amen. Adam and Eve were proud in the garden. Whenever they took their destiny in their own hands, listened to another voice other than God when He warned them not to eat of that tree. They decided, I, I know what you're saying. I know what God said. And even the devil said, did God not say? He twists the word of God. Pride. God resists pride. Pride actually turned an angel into a devil. What chance do you have? Whenever we learn of grace, what it does is it humbles you. Pride will always resist grace. Pride says, I'm going to get there on my own. I don't need the cross. 
I don't need church. I don't need church people. I don't need church discipline. I don't need the correction from the pulpit. I don't need none of that. It's between me and the Lord. It's personal between me and God. That's pride. But God resists the proud is what it says. It's what it says. Be angry with the preacher if you want, but it says it right here. I'm just a newsboy. He's the editor. This is the news. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Those who humble before Him. He heaps grace upon grace. Those who humble themselves before God and say, God, I cannot work my fingers to the bone any longer. Religion says, give more, do more, go more. I've done all that I can. I'm exhausted. And you collapse in the arms of the Savior who pours grace upon you. I don't know about y'all, but I've, I grew up in the graveyard of religion. Uh, let me explain. The graveyard of religion where there's nothing but dry dead bones. And there ain't nothing but dead bones, dead works. That people are trusting in corpses and dead ideas and thoughts and philosophies and their own works and achievements to impress God to get to heaven. I grew up there. And when he walked into the graveyard of religion, I couldn't even lift up my head when he came through the gate. He looked at me. He called me out like I was Lazarus. He said, live. You're going with me. And that's your story too. You've done it all your way. You've, done, you've been committed and submitted to other things. You've been adulterous. And he's walking through the, gra- the gates of the graveyard and he sees you and he calls you out by name. And he's heaping grace upon grace upon you. I don't know how to be a, a faithful man. I don't know how to be sober. I don't know how to pull this thing together. I don't know. I never had anybody show me how to tie a tie. I never had anybody show me change a tire. I don't know how to be committed and submitted to the local body. My uncles and them, they ran the streets. They only showed me how to shoot at somebody and how to sell this and how to do that. I didn't have any good influence in my life. I don't know how. And if he called you to it, he'll give you the ability to do it. He heaps grace upon you. Amen. If you want to walk sober and not chase after those things that you think will fulfill you other than Him, ask for grace. You want to live single and live holy and committed and submitted to Him, ask for grace. You want peace in your mind even though everything and everybody around you has lost theirs, ask for grace. You want to be stable, ask for grace. You want to heal Because you've been wounded to the soul and nothing's working. No matter what you pour down your throat or what you snort up your nose, it just ain't working. It ain't healing. Ask for grace. You want to know which way to go and what to do? Ask for grace. You want to stand in front of a people who are hard-headed and adulterous and preach like this? Ask for grace. You want to receive a word from the Lord? But you don't like it? Ask for grace. God resists the proud. He will resist the proud. That means you're his enemy. I'm not saying I'm God, but I'm speaking the words of God. These are the oracles oracles of God. We believe this is God's speech in print. And I'm not making this up. It's not my opinion. Anton Levy, who wrote the Satanic Bible, said, Do what thou will. And that is the mantra of our culture and society. Do whatever you want. If you're a grown man and you identify as a seven-year-old little girl, be a seven-year-old little girl. If you want to do that, do that. 
Do what thou will. Throw off the bonds of a deity in the heavens who calls you to holiness. Do whatever you want. And really, if it was up to me, I would say everybody do what you want. Live however you want. But there happens to be a God. Amen. And He has full authority over everything He created. Amen. He says you'll do this and not do that. And if you do that, you'll be ruined. Follow me. Adhere to me. Listen to me. And you have to decide. Will you do that? Will you submit and be humble? And receive grace upon grace? Or you resist and be proud? Deciding what you want to do. I'm so thankful that He, he gives grace. It says He gives more grace. It's what it actually says. He gives more grace. I don't know about y'all, but I'm going to need more grace before the day is over. I'm going to need more grace before the service is over. I'm going to need more grace after the service. I'm going to need more grace when I'm driving the guys home. I'm going to need more grace when I go to my house. I'm going to need more grace when I go lay my head down on my pillow. I'm going to need more grace to keep me through the night. I'll need more grace in the morning to rise up. I'll need more grace to go about my day. I'll need more grace. But He supplies all that. He supplies all that. It's not hinged on me. Somebody just needs to hear that. It's not all hinged on you. I know y'all know who Atlas is. He's the Greek God who has the world on his shoulders. He's usually, he's usually shown with his, his knees buckling and the world is across his back. You ain't supposed to have the world on your shoulders. Your worries and your anxieties, they're weighing on you. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Cast your cares upon Christ, for He cares for you. You ain't made to carry the yoke of burdens and worries and stress. You're supposed to be carrying the cross. You're not supposed to be carrying a grudge. Grudges are heavy. You're not supposed to be carrying unforgiveness. I don't know if you've heard this analogy. I think I've shared it here. In Roman times, whenever a murder was, a murder was guilty, found before a court of murdering someone, they would take the cadaver of the person who was the victim and they would tie them to the back of the person who was convicted of murder. You say, well, why? That's a little weird and gross. I know, let me finish. The person who had died would lay on the back. They were tied to that person and they would carry that person around. And all the juices of their decay would run onto the man who was guilty of killing them. And eventually they would get sick. And eventually they'd die. That's what unforgiveness does. Amen. Some of y'all are walking around as murderers and you've got them on your back. You haven't forgave them. You're carrying them around. And their, their toxins are reaching all into your soul and they're affecting every part of your life. Gangrene is growing in the depths of your soul. And it's affecting your judgments and your decisions. You say, well, they treated me this way, that's why I drank. Or you always find some reason to blame somebody other than you. But when you forgive, yes. you begin to heal. Yes. And I want to let you know that Christ has forgiven you. And if you've been forgiven, you're able to forgive others. He always gives what He demands. If you need to forgive somebody, realize that He has forgiven you. And only forgive them as much as God has forgiven you. Is He forgiving you of a great, great, great atrocities? Then you're able to forgive others. Forgiving people forgive people. That's right. 
Mm, it ain't going over like I thought, but that's okay. We see that God resists the proud, but He shows grace to the humble. It's easy to say humble. We like to say it. I can say it all day. Humble, humble, humble. But when there's a time to be humble, it ain't that easy. Good thing He gives grace for that. You remember back in the day when there was an app for that? We always said that there's an app for that on our phones. There's grace for that. Whatever it is. Whatever you think about, there's a grace, there's, there's grace for that. Whatever it is. He gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Next week we'll pick up in verse number 7 and on. But tonight... I want to let you know that our God is jealous for us and He has every right to be. He has ownership of us. He tells us not to have friendship with the world. That we will be imitate, have enmity with us and God. Does that website cause you to molest your holiness? Does that conversation put you in a shadow of a doubt of your loyalty to God? Does that anger still burning you and put a wall up between you and God and hinder your prayers. Friends, let us examine our own hearts and make sure that we're not entertaining the enemies of God. If I want to know who you're becoming, I always look at your friends. It's like a snapshot of who you're becoming. And if we're hanging out with the things that put Jesus on the cross, then we're hanging out with things that are sinful and wicked and we're an enemy of God. Let us examine our hearts, for He will give grace upon grace tonight. He's not telling you tonight, oh, you slipped up and you fell, you got to go. Because if that were true, there would be no one here. He gives grace upon grace. Amen. But I will let you know this. You're only forgiven of the sins that you have renounced and you do not go back to. He does not give you a get out of hell free card with a grace written across it to just sin all you want. That's like an unfaithful bride who says, baby, will you love me if I cheated on you? He says, yes. And she runs and cheats on him before the word yes is out of his mouth. And she comes back and says, you still love me? That's where we abuse the grace of God. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let us bow our heads. Father, tonight I thank you that your words came in clear and they came in strong. That they would be received by the people of God here tonight. Lord, that we are not operating out of obligation. That we're not operating out of we ought to or we should do or what we could do. But we are op we're motivated by the grace and mercy. So Father, I pray tonight that you would heap grace upon grace. That you would comfort those who are afflicted.